Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You know, if it ain't good news, it ain't the gospel. It's not ear-tickling. You know, people, people critics of, of a hardcore gospel, new covenant-focused message kind of, they like to throw their slurs around, but it's like, you know what? We're, I'm just going to talk about Jesus. This series that I'm in the middle of, <clears throat> we're talking about being an overcomer by the blood of Jesus. And that sounds like a nice idea. We're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. But how do you actually overcome? What is it that you're actually overcoming? And what does the blood have anything to do with it? You know, it's like we hear these mystical concepts, but we don't know how to practically live them out so that it becomes something that's actually assimilated into us, that makes sense to us, that's a consistent way that we can build our lives on spiritual truth and not just be mystical nuts flying around here trying to figure out how to get God to show up. There should, be a, there should be a real way to live. And so the image that I get, and I talk about it a lot in here, is we are trees planted. You know, like the psalm says, we become trees planted like the, like the, the, uh, the, the, the water, drawing, becoming rooted and established. And for us, we're becoming rooted and established in him. You know, that's my prayer for you today is that you see yourself like a tree. But a tree planted in God. Now think about this, right? Jesus said through Paul that you have been delivered from the power of darkness. Amen. You have been delivered from the power of darkness. Now darkness can come knocking. But living this way where the gospel is so full within you that you're like Jesus and you say, mm -mm. you can come, but there's nothing in me. I am so full of God that nothing in me that you bring to me is even an option for me because I'm so full of what God is doing within me and through me. Not something that you've performed to get it, but you're yielding to the finished work of Jesus in your life. You're sharing in his life. And that's where we're going today. We're talking about living in a way where, yes, we might talk about spiritual truths that sound kind of mystical, but it's real. I don't like mystical Christianity. You ever, have you figured that part out yet? I, to me, I don't like you having to run out and try to figure out how to do something mystical like even whether it be to give an offering or to go get an impartation or to go get a word or to go any of that kind of stuff, to get something from God. I want you to stand firm knowing that Jesus has planted you in the kingdom. And that is your sustenance. That is your life source. That is your word of knowledge. That is your deliverance. That is your provision is that you're in God. Now, all the other stuff then comes and it confirms what Jesus has done through you. So your Christianity is about this. I'm looking at Jesus and I recognize what he did and I'm responding to that, not trying to do something to make something happen. Amen. Although my doing 
radically changes because the way I respond to him now is from a place of acceptance. It's like I've just, you know those people, right, that you have relationships with and you just sit down with them and you just cut right to the chase and you don't do the dancing around the tree before you really get to the conversation? Like one person, you know those, do you have those people? Y'all need some friends, that's the problem. Y'all need some friends. But you know what I mean, like you just sit down, it's like, you know what, there's no chase to cut through. Let's just get to it. And that's how, that's how it should be with God. But religion has put us on the hamster wheel of thinking that we've got to crank God up, you know, work him a little bit. Like your kid, you know, you, those of you that got kids, when they're young, they jump up in your lap and they look at you and they, you figure out, they learn how to manipulate early. Yes. They, you figure out, you want something. Get off of me, you know. <laughs> you don't have to do that to God. You don't have to go run up in his lap and make him feel all warm and fuzzy because you prayed for somebody else or you quit sin that week or whatever, you know. It's just like you just walk into him and it's just instant connection. And that type of relationship is the life that is feeding you. And because you feel so safe with him, because he's set you free in Christ, first off, you don't let sin into that relationship, right? You don't let anything come in that will violate your heart and cause you to desensitize or harden your heart toward him. You don't want sin. Knowing that you're rooted and established and full of him is the only hope for you to be delivered from sin. And it's because of what he's done. So understanding salvation is understanding sacrifice. I think you best understand salvation by understanding sacrifice. The old system, the old covenant system had a sacrificial system where you would take different kinds of uh, offerings down to the priest and he would execute the sacrifice for you. And what you were to do is look at that sacrifice and say, that should have been me. That animal is taking my punishment. That animal is taking my guilt. That animal is taking everything that I deserve. Now, because of what that animal went through, I am temporarily atoned for and acceptable to God. Until the real thing that all of that stuff was pointing to came, which was Jesus. And it wasn't just physical. It wasn't just credited to you. An actual change took place. Atonement in you, spiritually, a new heart has happened to you. You don't just look at Jesus and say, okay, I can be forgiven. It's I am forgiven, past, present, future. You don't look at it and say, I will be righteous. You look at Jesus and say, I am righteous. Because not just the blood was shed, but the life was exchanged as well. Let's put up that Leviticus passage. So if you've ever wondered why God is into sacrifice, you know, I, I used to think that. Why, why couldn't you just do it? Why do you got it? Why the blood? Why the death? Why all that stuff? It's because of this right here. This is a This is Leviticus 17:11. Leviticus is just a description of what the Levitical priesthood was, how they were supposed to function and and do the sacrifices. Again, it all pointed to Jesus. So look at how this relates to what has happened to you through the sacrifice of Christ. The life of a creature is in the blood. So you see right off the bat, it's not just about the blood. It's about the life. It's about the life of Jesus having been laid down for you. 
the blood, the life, <clears throat> and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. You can pull that down. See, what happened is there was an exchange of life for you. Your forgiveness is in what Jesus went through. Your healing is in what Jesus went through. Your deliverance is in what Jesus went through. Your provision is in Christ, and Christ is in you. Now, some people, these are radical concepts to say, I don't have a partial sin nature anymore. I have a righteous nature because Jesus' sacrifice actually worked, and it wasn't just external. It was internal, and there was a circumcision without hands made that removed that root of sin and gave me a new heart. Now, you still got these bodies in this world, but you've been changed at the core of what kind of being you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you can make it past that, which, you know, I'm, I get it. There's theology that says you've got an old nature and a new nature, and whichever one you feed is the one that's actually going to win. You don't have an old nature. It's dead and cut out and thrown away Amen. and buried with Jesus. You have to know that. But you can still choose sin if you want to. Don't do that. That's not a good idea. It kills you. doesn't change what you are in your spirit because the sacrifice of Christ, the exchange of life, worked. Are you with me so far? So the question is now, okay, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I have been given righteousness by the blood of the Lamb. Righteousness is not something that I perform up to. I have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb that leaves me holy. If you understand what holiness is, holiness is the result of something that has been cleansed the proper way. If you look at the biblical model, holiness is the result of an artifact or a piece of furniture or a person having gone through the proper cleansing, then it's holy. Holiness is not a result of you doing or not doing something. Do you understand that? I mean, how can a cup, a table be holy? It's because it went through the proper ceremony. The ceremony you went through was the blood of Jesus washed you, literally. Amen. The life of God has taken up residence within you. You have become engrafted into God. He who has the Son has the life. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to your physical body. These are all effects of having been engrafted into the body. You understand what I'm saying? The, the, into God. <clears throat> These are nice ideas, but unless it actually becomes something that you can live with and engage with and yield to the influence of, it's just something that you can argue with. Like, you could argue with what I just said. You're going to have to argue with yourself. I'm convinced already. I think Jesus worked. So now what we're talking about practically is how do I overcome? How do I overcome this debt? How do I overcome this sin issue? How do I overcome this depression? How do I overcome anything that the enemy throws at me in this world? It's by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. By the blood of the lamb because you're already an overcomer. You're already delivered from the power of darkness because Jesus is. Everything that the blood of Jesus has accomplished is already true for you right now. Now it's your choice to participate in it and engage in it. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, God, how do I change? 
How do I walk in the power? How do I experience emotional wholeness? Today we're talking about the bread of life. You know, living with Jesus, participating in his life, and, and engaging with him in such a way that it actually feeds you, it actually nourishes you. It becomes part of you just like food that you would eat goes into you and does something. The Spirit of God is not just some distant remote entity out there that you have to figure out how to mystically go to. The Spirit of the living God is in you. When I say spirit, to me, I think life, right? If you think of God, the essence of what and who God is, he, he has a life essence, like the life force that's in God the Zoe of God. He who has the Son has the life of God. Now, you're not a God. You're not going to become a God. You're not going to become the Messiah. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But we have been brought into a covenant that Jesus upholds with God in which we share in what Jesus has. We share in His deliverance. We share in His kingdom. We share in His provision. We share in His life. We share in his victory because there was an exchange that took place. This Leviticus 17.11 talks about that's the reason for the blood is that so you, perfect human blood was spilt to redeem your sinful blood. Now you share in what that blood accomplished. It's totally unfair. Totally ridiculous. Not ridiculous, but you understand. Scandalous that you could be given something that you don't earn. Religion has a hard time with that. Religion comes along like the Pharisees and say, yes, but you got to do this too. Yes, but that doesn't mean you can still do this. Or There is no yes, but. There is Jesus. And that's enough. But do you know how to let him influence you. See, I think that's what <clears throat> holiness really looks like. We think that holiness, you know, religion has kind of presented this package to us that someone who's really holy is someone who doesn't get angry. They're quiet. They never sin. They're doing acts of service all the time. And it's like, now that might be the effects of holiness. But holiness is not a life devoted to God. It's a life in response to God. Holiness is saying, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are incredible. You are God. You're my king. All, you, you know, it's like the angels that fly around the throne room and that they just constantly adore him. And, and, and so you recognizing that and then that actually doing something to you that it transforms you so that, yes, you do live sin-free. Yes, you do live guilt-free. Yes, you do live sickness-free. The effects of it are there, but holiness is not all of this stuff that you do to set aside to live toward God. That's the result of you responding to what he's done in you. You see the difference? Yeah. It's a response. Christianity is a response to Christ. But can you live in that? See, that's why people still struggle with sin. It's why this one gets healed and this one doesn't. It's why this one stays in the relationship and this one moves on. Because even though they're all in the same place in God, to what degree are they yielding to that influence and letting themselves be changed and letting themselves be transformed? That's the goal and the agenda that God has for you. Love you, redeem you, and then transform you. 
as you let him transform you. It's a process. He's a gentleman. He's not going to kick the door down and make you transform. <clears throat> but transformation happens, and we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. I'm kind of Last couple of weeks, I've just been presenting some ideas. I want to lay the groundwork scripturally, and then the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about engaging in the process of transformation, which is we know we are, Romans 12, 2, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we're going to talk practically how do we renew our minds to actually experience transformation because we got some stuff we need to overcome. Amen. You have some things you need to overcome? I do. The stuff that I'm still struggling with in my life is not bringing glory to God in any way. And not only is it keeping me from experiencing God, but it might be causing other people to stumble as well. I don't want it in my life. Well, what you need to do, brothers, you need to get more holy. Well, okay. <laughs> so let's look at John 6. Go ahead and put that up there. John 6. I'm going to be reading in the NIV just because it reads a little easier. We're going to read... We're going to read 40, is it 48, all the way through 57. <clears throat> Actually, don't put it up just yet. Let me talk about it a little bit more. The goal of reading this particular part of Scripture is to get you to a place where you realize it's not just metaphorical that I am to partake of the body and the blood of Christ. I'm not saying that when you take communion, it becomes the literal body. That's not the point. Whether you take communion or not, there is a spiritual way to partake of the sustenance and the life of God that's in Jesus in a way that it actually does something within you. Like, we're, our, us Western thinkers, we're not used to meditative thinking in, in kind of a transcendental or, or a, 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 an actual spiritual interchange. We're thinking, okay, there's some information, that's over there, I can interact with it. It's all compartmentalized. But the way that Jesus presented, it's like, no, they're, they're, you are in the Spirit now. The way you know you are in the Spirit, Romans 8 says, is that the Spirit of God is in you. Now, do you want it to actually change you? Unfortunately, usually in church, the only people that talk about the Spirit get a little weird sometimes. And so it puts people off in different denominations. It's like, ah, those guys over there are doing that crazy Spirit stuff. You know, I don't, I'm not about the miracles and the tongues and the healings and the this and the that. It gets weird all over, over there for me. They're trying to all figure out how to prophesy to each other. You know, and I get that. So let's just let God lead us in that stuff. But let's talk about spirit in a way that it's life, not something mystical, not some realm out there that you don't really quite understand. But it's, but it's like, here's how I best understand spirit. This is how I would describe it. A tree that's planted and the roots that go into the ground are drawing the nutrients out of that ground and the water comes and feeds it and as it draws those nutrients up, the, the tree becomes healthy. And so let's say you take a branch and engraft it into that. You ever seen a grafted branch into a tree or a tomato plant or something like that? I must be wanting tomatoes. I've mentioned it like a bunch of times lately. Spirit is that that branch gets the same nutrients into it as the tree. In other words, it's a life exchange. It's, it's a growth of that life into that branch from the vine, from the tree. 
To me, that's the best way to describe spirit, not some mystical dimension that God has body parts in a room off to the right of the throne. I mean, you know, if you, if you see that stuff, whatever, that's fine. I'm, not try, I'm really not trying to downplay that. But that doesn't give much life. That just makes it you out here trying to figure things out, right? Trying to figure out, well, what are the mysteries? Here's the mystery. God lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So can you yield to that to the degree that it actually feeds you and changes you, where you have answers for people like Jesus did, and they say, you want some food? And he said, I've got food that you don't even know about. That's spirit. That's nourishment from the Spirit of God. So that's what he's talking about here. He, he feeds a couple of thousand, several thousand people. I mean, think about this. Get this visual, right? He's preaching. There's thousands of them out there. And they've got enough food that could fit on this table right here. And they come to him and they say, these people are hungry. What are we going to do? Well, he takes this much food and feeds everybody till they're full. And then there's 12 baskets left over. Imagine that. Imagine if we all ate. You're looking at that food saying, mm. Some of y'all can eat. I'm not looking at anybody. We all eat, and there's 12 baskets left over. That's God's idea of how to feed you. So he does that. Then the next day, he, that night, he goes up to the mountains, prays all night long. That Jesus, I tell you what, he's praying all night long. We should try that sometimes, right? Because then you might walk on water afterward. <laughs> but that's what he did. They're out there in the boat. They're worried. The storm's happening. You know, he comes walking on the water. He gets in the boat, prays, storm calms, and instantly they're on the shoreline. Then all the people that he had fed found out where he was the day after, the day before, and they come looking for him, and he starts talking to them about food. So it's interesting. You're going to read, the, you're going to read what he tells them, and what he's doing is he's trying to shock them into spiritual thinking. He's trying to get them, because what he says to them before, he, before the part that we're about to read, he says, you're not looking for me because of the miracle. You're not looking to me because of the power. You're looking for me because I fed you. You just want your basic needs met, and I'm okay with that. But let me tell you something. The way that I can feed you goes way beyond bread for the day. In fact, there's life in it. There's eternal life in it. So he uses it to start changing the way that they think about what he wants to do for them. And I think this applies for us too. There is a way to participate with God to feast on the spiritual life that he's given us through Christ, that it actually does something within us. So let's look at this. This is uh, John 6, starting in 48. <clears throat> Red letters. This is Jesus speaking. Now, if you use your imagination, use it in this moment, and just imagine Jesus standing there, right? And maybe he's even in front of you, and he's speaking this to you. This is a promise to you that your God loves you, that your God will provide for you. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, 
yet they died. See, they asked him for a sign. They said, he said, I'm going to give you life. And they said, okay, well, Moses got manna. What kind of food are you going to give us? See, they're still talking about physical food. So he responds to that. And then he, con then he continues here in verse 50. There's a bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. See, we're talking about life and death. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Now hold it right there for a second. Verse 52, they're questioning, they're thinking, I'm supposed to eat your flesh? Now, sweet, meek, gentle, mild Jesus, you'd think he'd say, now what, let me, let me just, just so you understand, let me explain what I mean. But watch what he does, verse 53. Then Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. He's not backpedaling to try to give them an explanation. He's driving his point because he wants them to get it. Next verse. Whoever eats my flesh, again, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. <clears throat> For my flesh is real food. Stay on 55, back one. My, my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Next verse. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Last verse 57. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Now go back to 55 if you would. There are some historical documents that write that, that Jesus took criticism and was accused of cannibalism because of this teaching right here. They didn't get what he was talking about. They didn't get the spiritual ramifications of feasting on him, of his flesh, of, his, of the kind of being that he was becoming something that we could take in and assimilate into us and be changed by and be fed by. See, this is something that we don't quite get as believers, I don't think, is that we can actually be sustained by the Spirit of God within us. Just like the extremities of any plant or tree have the same life essence flowing through it, so do you from God. And see, it's what you need to live in this life. You have bills to pay. You have kids to raise. You have relationships to maintain. The health of those relationships reflects the health of what's living with inside of you. It's like every day you've got a choice of what you're going to eat. Am I going to eat death or am I going to eat life? And life and death are in the power of the tongue, so it's what comes out of your mouth that makes the choice. Amen. Am I going to choose life or am I going to choose death? Am I going to choose to get in agreement with this lack or am I going to choose to believe that my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory? It's a choice. Which one are you going to choose? That's the battle. The battle you face is not necessarily trying to tie the devil up and make him obey Jesus. The battle you fight is in your mind is, do I really believe God? Do I really believe that God is interacting with me in this life? 
Do I believe that God really is present? Or do I just believe that he's out there? I'm willing to admit that, and I'm going to be with him when I go on. But am I living in such a way where I'm trusting him to feed me? Watch this. I left my iPad, so I'm going to annoyingly read from my phone. Are you okay with that? Is it legal to read from your phone? This is, you can pull that down. So this is what's called Expositor's Greek New Testament. I'm kind of a Bible nerd, so I like these study tools. In fact, we're doing a class on how to study the Bible on Wednesdays. You should come. Sam and I are doing it together. It's awesome. But this guy, this book was written by a guy, I don't know, late, he was late 1800s, early 1900s. It took him about 10 years to compile this book. He got, the, like he got commentaries from theologians all around, and he put together studies on the original language. He's about to comment on John, 50, on John 6, 55 through 56, about it being real food, his, his body being real food, and his blood being real food. The Greek is interesting because there's so much innuendo within it that we don't get in English. In other words, the tenses, like we think there's past, present, and future, but within the Greek, there's all these other tenses. Like there might be something that happened one time in the past, but then there are other things that happened, but they're continually still happening in the spirit side that's affecting you right now. It's not just past, it's past and ongoing. That's just one example. And then the emotion that's wrapped up within the Greek as well that comes out as we look at it. These guys are people that could actually read Greek and bring out what these passages say from the original language and, and just tell us more about the mindset or the logic that would have been understood by someone that actually spoke the language. Does that make sense? So <clears throat> watch where he goes with it. It's a commentary. He says, Jesus becomes as truly... Now, now follow me. I'm going to read this. Y'all ready? Yes. Put your mind in listening mode. It's kind of long. Jesus becomes as truly assimilated to the life of the individual, individual as the nourishing elements in food enter into the substance of the body. Right? So you eat broccoli and you pull out that iron and all those vitamins, and as it digests in your body, it breaks down, and it begins to go into your bloodstream, and it begins to nourish your body, and you actually, what you eat determines how healthy you will be. Amen. Yes, thank you. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about that. So, <clears throat> eat the spirit that is within you. Right? You can eat death if you like. You can still choose sin and mess around with that and have death in your life. You can speak negatively and, and carry the, 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 the logic of the world in your mouth or the life of God that flows through you. See, we're not just talking about cute little cliches and colloquialisms that we inject into Christianity. We're talking about life and death. Real so just like you take food and you put it into your body and it breaks down and those nutrients go into and it begins to sustain your body, so does the Spirit of God within you. The believer abides in Christ as finding his life in him. 
So your life is in him. And Christ abides in the believer, continually imparting to him what constitutes spiritual life. That's Romans 8. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to your mortal body. That's happening in this moment right now. That's not something that you go find in your prayer closet and you sit down and you convince God to bless you because you've done the right things. In this moment, right now, because you have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, the spirit of God is alive and active within you and seeking to bring about his purposes within you, his quality of life within you. I mean, you're not sitting here thinking about what you ate for breakfast this morning, right? But it's going through your body. And it is feeding you. So is the Spirit of God. Day by day, moment by moment, second by second. And we're running around trying to figure out how to get God to show up. God, what do we need to do to convince you to move? No. Every second you are being fueled by the Spirit of the living God. Yield to it. And let it transform you. Let it nourish you. Let it feed you. For in Christ, man reaches the source of all life in the Father. Think about that. In Christ, man reaches the source of all life in the Father. You're abiding in Him. You're a branch. You're a vine. You're a branch in the vine. The living Father has sent Christ forth as the bearer of the life. So Jesus is the life bringer that draws you into this covenant with God, this this engrafting into God. He lives not equivalent to, through or by means of the Father, but because of the Father or by reason of the Father. Another way it says it is the Father is the cause of my life. Because I'm in him, because I'm in Jesus. See, we are hidden with Christ in God. The Father is the cause of my life. I live because the Father lives. The Father is the absolute source of life. Life, spirit, same thing. The Son is the bearer of that life to the world, Everyone that eats of Christ will, by that connection, participate in the life of God. This uh, Cambridge study, a long time ago, they said it this way, talking about this, this teaching, it says, this is no misleading metaphor, but an actual fact. In other words, they boiled the teaching of Jesus saying, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, they deem that as not just a metaphor, it's a fact. It's something that you do. Now, communion is obviously a way that we do that, but even that can be a ceremony. Like, you could be thinking, okay, God, now you should heal me because I took this bread and I drank this juice. I've heard of some people, Linda told me that John G. Lake took uh, communion every day. I think Joseph Prince takes communion. Does anybody take communion every day in here? I've heard of more and more people doing that. Don't make it about the communion. Make it about the life that happens. That's just the point to get you focused on him. 
So the life that's in us, right? Let's look at this. This is the final verse here, and then we'll wrap up. This is 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises. Now, this part, it's amazing. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. You're not like Abraham that was just credited righteousness under the old covenant. You are righteous. You're not just temporarily forgiven because the blood of the goat was sprinkled for you. You are forgiven. Now, don't violate that. Don't keep messing around in sin and violate that. You are a, through these promises that God has made you, so I, I like to think of it this way. God could have just sent Jesus here. He died for you. He went back to heaven, and he said, okay, now if you say yes to me, you can come be in heaven with me, but life's going to be really hard until you get here. I've opened the door to heaven. I hope you make it. No. In this life, a partaker of the divine nature. Now, again, you're not God. You're not going to become a God, but you share in his life. You have the same essence flowing through you that he does through him. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That reminds me of what Jesus said. I think I said it already, but the, the, the corruption that's in the world, it can't touch you. You're not giving in to those evil desires because you're living so full of God. Like you're a tree that is so full of what the nutrients have to feed to it. You don't let sin in. You don't let doubt. There's no room for it. In fact, there's so much God in you that you have yielded to that that these buds start, to, like, like you look at this, it's spring, right? How many of you like to walk up close and you look at those buds? Isn't it amazing? Like that branch, it looks dead, right? We've got crepe myrtles in front of my house, and I try to keep them trimmed, and I walk by, and there's these large ones, and you're thinking, I'm not sure those things are going to grow this year. And the next day you walk by, and all of a sudden, man, it is covered. <laughs> that is what bearing the fruit of the Spirit looks like. It's something that has so healthily transpired within you that it just, it just bears fruit outside of you. Religion would make you think you've got to run around out here and get your life so in order that you attain holiness or you attain righteousness. No, you've been given righteousness. Now yield to the influence of the Spirit so that you will actually live that way. And the way that you do that is you partake of the feast that God has prepared for you, before you, the body and the blood of Christ, the life of Christ. You know, you could, you could say, how, how does the branch eat what's in the vine? That's how you eat. Because I know, I know what happens in our minds. We want to quantify all this. We want to understand, well, how do I eat? It's kind of weird. I don't know. <laughs> Here's how you answer that for yourself. How does the branch eat what's in the vine? How does the apple hanging on the tree draw from the nutrients that's in the tree itself? That's how you eat of the body and the blood of Christ. You draw on that life force that's in God. 
because he wants you to. He has provided it for you. It's the way that you change. It's the way that you experience every promise that he has for you, not through your performance. Your performance just changes afterward. Draw on that life, not in a made-up or strange way, but based on what these scriptures say, the life and the blood of Christ are real food for you. Jesus, I may not understand that, but I know that you've given me your spirit to lead me and guide me into all truth. I know that you've given your spirit to me to nourish me. I acknowledge right now that your spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is giving life to my physical body. God, as we yield to you, I just believe healing happens. I believe provision happens. As we are drawing, as we are acknowledging, we are just lifting up the Lord Jesus. We look at, to, we look at you. We give you praise and honor and glory for what you've done for us. We behold you. God, I trust that you're taking care of me. You're touching those areas of my heart that have emotional baggage. You're touching those areas of my mind where I don't yet think spiritually. I don't yet think in agreement with life. I've still got death trapped in my thinking. God, I yield those areas to you. Change my mind. I yield to your transformative power. I thank you that you're willing to influence me, that you've not left us. You promised that you wouldn't leave us or forsake us. It's like a seed. Your kingdom has been planted within me, and I just want to let it grow. I don't want to hinder it through sin. I don't want to hinder it through doubt or fear or worry or wondering who the next president's going to be. That's not my kingdom. That is not the world that I am of. The world that I am of is at peace. I choose to participate in that world. I am of that kingdom. Thank you, Lord.